Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hi, Grace. How are you going today? Good. How are you? Good, good. So lots of exciting things are happening at the moment in I Quit Sugar World. Um, so we've just released the new winter menus that are absolutely delicious. I've been having a play of them over the last month and they are really, really good menus. So those just been released. And if you're listening from the Northern Hemisphere, uh, we've also released summer. So great time to obviously get started in summer because you can get nice fresh seasonal salads um, and fish and all the really delicious kind of summery light meals that are in the plan as well. Yeah, and my favourite part is the workouts. I personally do them every morning. I take my dog for a walk and then I come home and I set up the yoga or my Pilates mat and just set up my lounge room as like my in-house studio. And I'm finding them such a great way to like start the day mentally and physically and just like stretch out my body. I know I'm going to sound like an old lady, but I feel like I'm about to turn 30 and my muscles are getting sore. My bones are getting sore. So it's really helping me stretch out the body, which I appreciate. I've got to say, so I'm obviously <laughs> a little bit older than you. Um, you look the same age. <laughs> I don't look the same age. I look like I've got wrinkles and stuff. Ever since I had a baby uh, seven months ago, I feel like everything is just come out in my face, like all these grey hairs. I can understand why your parents say that they you age then. <laughs> it happens <laughs> right from birth, I can tell you now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely, like I, I've really noticed that, you know, Pilates is such a good thing for your body um, and it really does help with the ageing. Yoga, which we've got in the app as well. And I've been listening to The Sleep School, which is just oh, brilliant. Yeah. So really helping me. As I said, I've got a seven-month-old, so sleep is so important for me at the moment. Really helping me understand and unpack what happens when I wake up during the night or if I can't get to sleep and how to sort of stop and start to change some of my habits. So I've been really enjoying that. And that's with Shay Morrison, who is just a genius from the Goodnight Co. So that's been brilliant for me. Yeah, no, they're my favourite. And I also love, you know, I'm a bit of a hippie and I love the woo-woo stuff and having the Green Hub sustainable tutorials teaching me how to preserve my veggies and keep my fresh produce crispy and last for longer. I literally do this every Sunday now. I'm following along and I'm wrapping all my veggies up in all the boxes with all the bags and my partner just leaves me in the kitchen. He's just like, oh, you're on your hippie tangent again. <laughs> I'm like, you'll thank me. <laughs> Exactly right. And everything just lasts longer as well. Like you just learn yeah. how to preserve stuff so it lasts longer, so there's less that you're throwing out. It's And it also, on the more practical side, is impacting grocery bills as well. So, you know, everything's so expensive at the moment. It really does yeah. help that you can start making stuff last a little bit longer so that you're not constantly buying. You know, I used to be in that habit of picking up dinner at the grocery store every night so on the way home I'd pick up dinner and it's just not practical it just blows out your expenses so much so yeah our program really does help to do that because you obviously learn how to meal prep 
um, are organizing everything ahead. So it's always released on a Wednesday before the Sunday, uh, before the Monday starts. So you do a meal prep on the Sunday, you start cooking for the next week, and then you've got the week's worth of veggies already and groceries already there, ready to go. It's all on the website. So definitely join now, hit the program links, have a look. There's been some great results as well off the program. So let's dive into today's episode. This is one I'm really excited about. We partnered with Endometriosis Australia, who is someone I have just started to get more and more involved in, having only been diagnosed with endometriosis at aged 40. So I was really late and I believe that I've been trying to investigate my periods and what's been happening in my body since I was 15 years old. So people would always ask, you know, I'd go to doctors and especially when you're starting to get on contraceptions and on the pill, they ask you what's happening with your period. You know, do you feel pain? And I'd always say, yeah, I do. I do. I've got this pain. Um, But really it only wakes me up the first night of my period. I have this weird thing where every time I get my period I know because I get these wild dreams that are very vivid yeah really vivid it must be the hormones must be they do wild things yeah Mm. and I get pain so I wake up and I I'm in pain now I always thought that was pretty normal right like everyone talks about it in school I went to an all-girls school and we were constantly told that you get period pain you know don't use an excuse you get period pain and that's just what happens and you deal with it and you get on with it so I always thought that was normal and I would always say to doctors look it doesn't stop me from doing everyday life so I'd always go to school you know when I started working I'd always go to work it never stopped me doing anything so I never thought it was any different And it wasn't until I started investigating why I was having issues conceiving and trying to um, Mm -hmm. conceive Kinsley that I went down the route of finding a specialist who was doing a ultrasound and they found a polyp on my left side. Now, in saying this, I had been to an ultrasound literally three days prior for a different issue that I was having. And they found nothing on that scan. And it wasn't until I went to a specialist fertility ultrasound person who found this polyp on my left side and said, polyps and cysts are completely normal, but if you get them on your right side, if you get them on your left side, they are endometriosis. Oh, wow. Okay. So for some reason, completely normal, they come and go, and this is very much layman, so I'm sure there's doctors <clears> out there and they can they can comment <laughs> on our webpage or they can comment on our, um, our socials if I'm incorrect, but my understanding is people do get cysts and they, you know, every month and they'll pop and they'll um, just go back into the lining and that happens mm-hmm. on your right side but anything on your left side uh, is endometriosis. So that's when I was first diagnosed and I'm still now going through what is endometriosis? You know, all of these things that I thought was normal in my body, is that normal or is that part of the endometriosis? For years I had um, irritable 
bowel syndrome. I thought that's what that was, but maybe it's endometriosis. So there's a whole lot of stuff that I'm unpacking. So I was really excited to talk with our guest. So today we have Ellie on our podcast. She is an ambassador for endometriosis. So she is a radio host for the Hit Network and has a massive online audience. And then she reached out to Endometriosis Australia and said, hey, I've got this awareness and I've got this platform. How can we work together? So from there, she became an ambassador. And it's not just the fact that she's an ambassador. She actually deals with endometriosis on the daily. From age 12, her mum noticed her going into the medicine cabinet, getting Penadol, and she sat her down and she said, look, Ellie, you've probably got endometriosis. I've had it. Your aunties have had it. And from the age 12 to where she is today, she has been battling the ups and downs of endometriosis and fertility. And the impact it's had on her body is absolutely incredible. And I think everyone needs to hear her story. Ellie, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here with us. We just wanted to kick off and ask, how did you get involved with Endometriosis Australia? And what was your experience with endometriosis? So my journey with endometriosis first began when I was 15 years old. And it was day two of my very first period. And my beautiful mum, who also had gone through endometriosis, and so did her sisters as well, she sat me down because she noticed that I kept going to the medicine cupboard and getting Panadol. She said, are you in a lot of pain? And I went, yeah, this is awful. I hate it. I don't want this happening. And period suck. And in my head, because the teachers at school taught me that periods were painful. I just thought, this is what I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. And then my mum, when I was 15, said, now, um, you know, I went through this condition when I was your age and in my 20s called endometriosis. And she explained to me what it was. And being a retired nurse, she gave me all the medical jargon. And that was kind of my first introduction to endo. And being 15, I was like, oh, no, that won't be me. It's just, it's fine. So I, you know, would push on through and I kept getting these painful periods and mum kept taking me to the doctors and doing all of the things that you do, like blood tests and scans, et cetera, et cetera. It's all a blur for me, but it took about 12 years for me to be officially diagnosed with endometriosis. And that was via surgery, the laparoscopy, and they discovered that I had stage four endometriosis. So my body was a goldmine for endo, as the surgeon said to me. And it was at that point, because I kept it so quiet to myself, I actually then got on to Google and I, I searched um, endometriosis charities in Australia and that's when I discovered endometriosis Australia and I reached out to them and I said, look, I'm a radio announcer in Sydney. I'd love to be able to use my voice to be able to talk about my experience and become an ambassador for you. And that's when we got hitched and it's been about 10 years now that I've been able to, to work with the team there and have seen over the years how much has changed for the endometriosis community, which is fantastic. Wow. So how did your mum find out that she had endometriosis? Because it was a different time back then. Yeah. So um, she first started getting painful periods, as did both of her sisters in their teens. And they all have medical backgrounds. So they would be going to doctors. One doctor actually told my mum that it was a nurse's only condition. Then there was actually some description in his doctor book right that said um this condition will only affect female nurses and something like if you've got to go home and rest and take Panadol you'll be right um and then she eventually was able to find a, a doctor in the 80s and early 90s who kind of 
did the the exploratory surgery and discovered that she did have endometriosis. She had a really bad tooth. She had chocolate cysts, so her ovaries were really, really nasty and extremely lucky to fall pregnant with myself and my brother. Um, And I know that straight after I was born, so 1985, I think a couple of years later, she then had the hysterectomy. So she was like my age of, you know, early 30s having a hysterectomy, which is so drastic. And back then there wouldn't have been the hormone replacement therapy compared with now. So there really was so little known. So explain to listeners who aren't familiar with endometriosis, what exactly does it involve? So the way that I like to simply talk about it is think of it like spider webs that are coming out of your womb that are latching onto various organs in your body, various parts, and they they can stick the organs together. It leads to debilitating pain. It causes the nausea. It causes the stabbing. I've heard people describe it like it's a grating feeling in their abdomen, all these weird and wonderful descriptions as to how endometriosis feels. And I thought that it would only be able to stay in your abdomen It'd be growing around, you know, for me, it attacked my uterus. It was my ovaries were fine, thank God. It strangled my appendix. And then the doctor's like, oh, it's actually kind of gone to your bowel as well. And then I've heard other stories of it attacking people's kidneys. It's been found in the heart, the lungs, even oh. up in the brain as well. So to think that something that has first started in your womb is capable of, you know, weaving its way through your body all the way up to your brain is just mind blowing. And, you know, doctors will say it's such a weird and and wonderful disease and continuing to try and figure out how this happens is something that researchers are really working on. So you said it takes 12 years for you to get your diagnosis. Is there a way to get this diagnosis sooner so it doesn't escalate to a stage four? So this is the thing that it does take on average about six and a half years now to be diagnosed with endometriosis. The reason why it's so hard is because the only way you can officially be diagnosed is via a laparoscopy. Yes, there's technology such as MRIs, um, ultrasounds that may show up endometriosis, but I know in my case, even if I had the fancy expensive ultrasounds that will cost an absolute fortune, it wasn't showing up on these particular scans. So that's why then they would go in and do the event exploratory um, surgery and discover it. And the thing too, there are four different stages. So stage one, two, three, and four. Stage four is the worst you can get. But even someone who's got stage one may have the same pain as someone with stage four. So, you know, I've got a mate who's got it stage one. She's like, oh, you've got it stage four months worse than me. It's like, well, no, because every patient is different as well. And I've heard a lot about silent endometriosis. So Mm -hmm. what is silent endometriosis? So this is where people won't even be aware of it. And they'll go in and they'll think that they've got uh, IBS or some other, you know, gastro issue. And sometimes doctors will go through and do the exploratory surgery, surgery and discover, hey, you've actually got this endometriosis and... This is what's been causing you the pain. I actually had it happen to another friend of mine who joined the Endo Warrior Club and she for years thought she had IBS and, you know, doing all of the different FODMAP diets, everything, right? And then she ended up needing to have surgery anyway because she was having these bowel issues and the doctor said, you've got um, endometriosis on the bowel. We're going to need to do another surgery with uh, an excision specialist to make sure that we can we can fix this for you. So, um, and I, I think it's appropriate to endome- you know, silent endometriosis because it's women's business, it's periods, and 
for so long there was that stigma that you can't talk about it Mm. and that so many people did struggle with it in silence and I know initially that was me you know for 12 months I'd be lying to my boss as to what was actually going on Um, so it really is quite an appropriate label to have for such a debilitating silent disease. So when you have your period how is it different from when I have my period like what symptoms arise to make someone think oh this could be endometriosis? If your period pain is putting your life on hold, then that's when you should be going to the doctor and having that discussion. For me, when I had my periods, it was extremely heavy. I'd be bleeding for days. I'd be going through pads and tampons like, no, tomorrow. And I'm so sorry for the graphic detail. I think especially being at school too, I was always paranoid that I'd bleed through. And I had a couple of times where it did happen and it went on my school uniform. Thank God it was a navy skirt so no one saw. Um, But, you know, if, if that pain really is causing you to stop you're living your daily life to the fullest, then that is when there will be something wrong. The thing is, though, it's not necessarily just when you have your period. For me, I get it probably every second or third day, and I just don't know. Some days will be really good, like today I'm having a good day. We were scheduled to do this podcast the other day, and unfortunately I had a flare-up, and it just comes out of nowhere for me. And back to, you know, every patient is different with the way that they experience this disease. Um, and I suppose the big thing is that pain will be yeah, literally putting your life on hold. You'll be calling in sick to work. It'll be affecting how you, you know, manage day to day. It's that stabbing pain. It causes nausea, headaches, fatigue, depression, anxiety. So there's a whole list of symptoms as to what could be causing it. So it can affect the body in some really extreme ways. How can it affect fertility? Unfortunately, endometriosis has caused fertility issues and this can happen for endo-warriors. It's not everyone though. There is still people with endometriosis who are able to fall pregnant successfully. My mum is a perfect example and you don't need to go through the fertility treatments of IVF. Um, So I, due to my endometriosis, it attacked my uterus um, and that also means that I've got adenomyosis which is the evil cousin of endo. Basically, the surgeon said to me that very first laparoscopy, your uterus is like a bruised apple and it's going to be really hard for you to fall pregnant. And I was 27. I was just about to get married. And I, my jaw just fell to the ground like, I'm 27. I'm about to plan my entire life. I want to have children. How, what, what do you mean? And, you know, then that next doctor's appointment, he sat me down and he held out a chart and it's like, you're, you know, this is your chances of falling pregnant when you're 27 compared with when you're 35 and you need to basically start now. And the way that this doctor spoke to me, and he was lovely at the time, and I look back on it, it's like, you've really made it sound like falling pregnant is as easy as making a cup of tea. Is such a difficult thing for someone already who's going through a disease that causes debilitating pain to then be like, okay, was that time of the month and we're going to, we'll have sex in, you know, two weeks and then I'll fall pregnant. Um, And so we tried naturally and did all that and that wasn't working. So then I had to go down the, the, uh, the joyous road of IVF and oh my God, that's another can of worms because I didn't realize at the time um, the IVF would actually then make my endometriosis worse and it was causing absolute hell for me. So the first round I did, I remember going into it just like this young child going into a toy store with the opportunity to buy everything and it's all going to work out perfectly well and I'm like yes this is all going to work and did the the injections 
which made me absolutely a hormonal hot mess. I have this list of stuff I cried at. So stupid. Like I would cry at the smallest things just because my hormones were through the roof from having to do this fertility treatment. And I had the egg collection done and I woke up uh, and they put like the number of eggs on your hand and Mm -hmm. I had 21. I was like, shit, Ellie, that's a really good number. Like you've done so well. And then I thought, great, I've got 21 chances to fall pregnant. This is awesome. And then I didn't realise that you have to wait the five days for then to find out how your embryos are actually going. So the first one, you know, day three, I think it was, I got the call and it was a scientist saying, oh, unfortunately, you're only left with 11. Like, oh, okay, cool. No one told me about that bit. Maybe I didn't listen in that briefing. Um, And then day five, it was, you've only got one egg out of the 21. And I failed. I had one embryo that had successfully done its thing and was capable of being you know transferred so I did the transfer and I thought of it as this lucky egg and it was definitely going to work for me and sadly it didn't and then I'm like right we're going to try again and then the second time I did it was uh after the egg collection sadly um not sure what happened but believe that potentially there was a complication in the procedure and it caused me to get a giant abscess um on my pelvic floor like in my muscle this abscess was growing for about a week had no idea was in pain and of course I just put it down to endo uh it turned out then that had caused me to get septicemia and I was rushed to hospital ended up in ICU for a week um and that was really touch and go and so that was my second round with um with IVF and the whole experience of that and endo and infertility and then um yeah so that kind of put everything on hold for 12 months because they didn't want to go near me like I had to recover because as it turns out having septicemia is quite serious didn't know at the time but it also caused me kidney damage as well I, I still went and did two more no three more rounds of IVF so they're taking all the drugs and everything and, and I got really sick kept wondering why um, and then it turned out that my kidneys had been so damaged from the IVF that it was you need to stop um, even if you were to fall pregnant that the baby won't be able to survive and or you will die so Thank you God. need to stop it's like oh, that's, well, that's the end of that then like uh, <laughs> that's you know that's a very long story cut short um but yeah unfortunately for me this endo experience has left me unable to have kids. That is absolutely devastating. And do you know how many women are affected that badly? Um, I think it's one in th- three will be affected by the fertility issues if when it comes yeah. to endometriosis. But knowing the way that endometriosis is, that's a, a continuing to grow, I reckon that will keep on going up and up. I'm the same as exactly the same story as what you've spoken about. So mm. I'm going to go in and have the surgery to be confirmed. Um but they believe I have it based on, strangely enough, a cyst being picked up in a um, in an ultrasound. Mm. And I had an ultrasound the Friday. So I think this was on a Tuesday. The Friday prior I had an ultrasound for something else and they said there was nothing there. The next Tuesday I had a cyst and they said because of where it was, it was definitely an endometriosis cyst. And so that's how easy I think this kind of stuff gets missed you know one person didn't see it at all the next you know within a couple of days I've got it so it's Mm -hmm. it clearly was there the whole time and since I've um 
started to go through this process about to have the surgery, I've spoken to two or three friends who have now about to have a surgery as well. And mm. it just seems like more and more people are speaking about it and understanding what it is. So I, I always thought pain was normal. I always thought the no the pain that I had was normal. So I wasn't like you. I wasn't, I've never been debilitated by it. I've been able to go to work. I've been able to go to school. I've been able to function, but painkillers don't work. Um, and I just, so I just assumed that's, that's what you do as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you go through as a woman. And that's kind of what was said to me. And I believe that every time I spoke to a doctor, nobody really took me seriously. I wasn't buckled over in pain. Nobody really took me seriously. And I, I, I believe that I really struggled to advocate for myself. So how do you go to doctors and have these conversations? Who should you be going to? So I think sometimes your local GP isn't armed with the information. What avenues, what routes are there for people to go down and have these conversations and kind of get answers? It really is a hard one when you are going through that initial stage and you need to be the CEO of your own body and that's mm. a wonderful expression that someone once told me. You've got to kind of fight until you keep getting the answers that you deserve and you think are correct. I went to multiple GPs. Now I had one who the first time wrote me a mental health plan saying that I'm crazy and it's all in my head and that there's no pain. I had another male doctor say to me, just uh, take some Panadol and you'll be absolutely fine. Um, another one said, this is just normal and that's what women's business is. And, you know, thankfully having mum who'd gone through it, she's like, just got to keep on going, just mm -hmm. keep going. I found a, a fantastic GP who finally listened and has gone, yep, I've heard of it. I don't understand it, but I'm going to refer you to uh, an endometriosis excision specialist. And I'd already done my research and was able to get in to see um, Professor Michael Cooper, who's one of the best surgeons in Sydney um, when it comes to excision, and was able to go and see him. And given the history, et cetera, I was able to get those answers. But still, that initial going to doctors was such a long time mm -hmm. because each time you go into a doctor's surgery and then they dismiss you, yeah. they tell you you're crazy, et cetera, then you really walk away and you think, oh, Maybe it is all in my head and you question everything and it because takes the expert, time right? to be able to build confidence back up to go and have another doctor's appointment. Plus, it costs money. Uh, the fantastic thing with the internet is that you can get online and Google now to see if there's any GPs who do specialise in women's health and or endometriosis. Mm. Kind of reach out through social media as well there's lots of groups too where people do share who they've gone on scene as well um, but at the end of the day you need to be the one who's comfortable to with that doctor and mm. and keep on fighting to get the answers because it does take time and if you don't get one the first time around just look at another one keep on going until you get the answers that you think you deserve yeah I wish I'd had that advice when I was in my mid-20s and I knew something was wrong. I knew something in my body was wrong and I was mm. trying to fight. And I went to a female doctor at a local GP clinic and it, it was exactly what you said. I had paid for it. So it wasn't a bulk mm. billing clinic. I thought I'll pay for it. I'll go that what I thought was that extra little bit for, you know, your own um, care. And she said to me, I think you need to do more weight-based exercises. Oh. 
and I just assume. <laughs> I know, right? So random. <laughs> random. Help. I know, and and but I just assumed that they know better. It's mm. it's your doctor, right? It's a doctor. Mm-hmm. It's a medical professional, and they know better. And Absolutely. Younger women need to learn their, to find their voices earlier and to really advocate for yourself. Yeah. And it's not the doctor's fault either because a lot of them will not even be aware of what endometriosis is. I know uh, one of our ambassadors, Sarah Marie Cameron, I think she was over in Canada when she first had an experience with it and she said, I think I've got endometriosis and the doctor at the time was like, how do you spell that? (laughs) There's still a lot to be learned about this disease because there's still so much unknown about it. Mm. There is no cure and I think it's going to be years until we're able to find it, just to get even close. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say, it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. So how often do you have to keep on going in for surgeries? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Very good question. So uh, my first surgery was in 2012. Then I had one in 2013, two in 2014, 2015. So I kind of kept going back to back to back to back. Now you think that that's going to really help be helpful um, and because the endo kept growing back. However, I look back on that now. I wish I only had one just to mm. get the diagnosis and then I was able to manage it from then on because now, unfortunately, a lot of my pain is due to scarring from the endometriosis that had been excised and, and that's what's causing me the majority of my pain now. It's that nerve pain and I'm you know now on nerve medications to help with all of that stuff too. So I look back on it, I really wish I didn't have that many. So how does um, Endometriosis Australia support women that are dealing with this condition so endometriosis australia is a nationally accredited charity Um, we endeavor to increase recognition and awareness for endometriosis and we also provide education programs funding for research as well so we've got a huge team of people that will be constantly doing the research and getting funding from people who are generously donating to be able to do these research studies and getting patients because that's one thing too to do the research you need patience and Mm. over the years there's not really been many people forthcoming so if if you ever see that there is like a i would 100 percent anything that they need to do for the testing of this yeah i would do it like i i i just think the lack of awareness around this is incredible the fact that i found out when i was in my 40s And trying to fall pregnant. It was exactly the same thing, right? I was looking mm-hmm. for why I was struggling to fall pregnant. Mm. I wish I had known this when I was 15, 16. So mm. I would I would definitely be in and I'm sure I know other people that would do the same thing. And the other thing is too is just sharing your story. Like mm. I'm really thankful for people like Bindi Owen who mm. has recently shared that she's got endometriosis and it was at the start of the week that she shared her update and how bad her endo was and it's having people like that in the media spotlight who then give people who aren't the confidence to go out there 
and book GP appointments and they don't feel as alone either. That's another yeah. thing too is I always get messages from people saying thank you so much for just sharing your story because mm. they're really nervous about doing it because, yes, it is such a personal experience, you know. It's vaginas and ovaries and uteruses and all that. It is fantastic to see more awareness being created around it and I, I, I get excited now when I see a news.com.au headline which is around endo mm. um, because 10 years ago, that would have never happened. It would have been like, you know, in the health section right in the corner. And I think also um, off the back of that, the reason I never spoke about it was because I thought it was normal. And so the more that we say that's not a normal experience, I just assumed. So, for example, I was talking to my best friend about this and her daughter and saying if anything happens and if she starts feeling pain, take her to the doctor. It's not normal. Take her to the doctor because she never felt pain, but I didn't know that. When have mm. I ever sat down with my best friend and said, how's your period going, <laughs> you know? And I've been friends with her since I was, you know, in my 12 years old. We went through that whole experience together, but I didn't go, well, I have pain, do you have pain? I just thought it was normal and I assumed everyone did have pain. So I think the more we, we it's funny, it's not the norm, the more we normalise it, the more that we, make it abnormal and make people understand it's abnormal, the better in this situation. And I think it's also to educating, you know, the teens coming through at the moment. Mm. Ed, Edno Australia are really big champions around getting into schools and mm. talking about it. I know I went to my old school, um, you know, graduated 20 years ago and spoke about having endometriosis and afterwards I had about 20 different girls will come up to me and say, thank you so much because yeah. I've been going through this and I haven't told any of my friends and all of a sudden it just opens up this this world to them that, oh, I'm not the only one. And mm. and even teachers were like, oh, we weren't aware of it. And to relook at the way that we teach our children sex ed. Yeah, I mean, I'm a 90s baby and was taught that painful periods are normal. So that's where yeah. it was like, oh, I'm just going to suck it up and go to school. And which also, is <laughs> but also that attitude um, in schools needs to change that you just need to suck it up because, mm. you know, remember going to PE with the note saying I can't oh, yeah. do X because you've got your period and everyone was like, oh, you're that person. You're that yep. You just want to get out of going and having a run or you just want to get out of playing tennis or whatever that day. And, mm. it's, and it's really frowned down upon and it's not thought about and it's not thought about as a debilitating illness. It's just mm. thought about as you're trying to skip something. So Absolutely. I think that attitude has to change. And to your point, it's the same in work. You know, you were obviously hiding that you had a debilitating disease for 12 yeah. months from your office. You know, how do we start changing those conversations in the workplace and in schools and stuff so that it does become something that is normalised? Normalized? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was an interesting experience for me going through the initial diagnosis at work. So I was working at the time at Today FM in Sydney, you know, number one rating radio station, and I'd be calling in sick um, quite frequently just because the pain was so, so bad. I'd be nauseous, etc. Mm. And um, I had a male boss who didn't really understand at the time and, you know, I'd message him and say, mate, I, I physically can't get out of bed. I'm puking. This is going on. And I'd just get a response like, oh, okay. So then that causes anxiety issues like, oh, I'm going to lose my job, shit. And honestly, it, it was this this 
it was just building up and up and up. I'd have the pain, then the anxiety, then I'd go through depression. Then it was every day I'd be going to work fearing that I would lose my job. And I was so thankful that that hasn't happened to me. But I do know that there are people who have been sacked mm. because their bosses never understood what was going on. And, and you know, these are quite prominent jobs too where they have lost them. And thankfully through the work of Endo Australia and all the other charities in the country, we were able to get into Safe Work Australia. So there now are guidelines for employers around endometriosis and how they can deal with their employees. Yeah, I think it has come a long way since, as you said, us in the 90s. Like I think even when you were diagnosed, that would have been at the time still quite unheard of. Mm. People, you know, having that experience and having those conversations. And it is... Mm you know, credit to yourself, credit to Endometriosis Australia, that now we've got an endometriosis, you know, month where people are coming forward like Bindi Irwin came forward and people are starting to have conversations and real conversations and that sparks conversations amongst friends. Absolutely. You know, I'll be sitting there at work and someone will... I'm like the mother hen at the radio station where if I hear someone's feeling sick, it's like straight away everyone goes to mother hen Ellie and she'll fix it. And, you know, one of the girls was saying, oh, really bad period pain I'm like right sit down let's go through your symptoms you know is this normal like is this the first time etc and you know, then they will go and book and see a GP and lo and behold they then get diagnosed with it so just know that the pain is not normal and yeah. go book into your GP because it's not a nice thing to go through either like you shouldn't have to suffer in silence what if you're on contraceptives like the pill does that mask any symptoms of endometriosis yeah, so this is an interesting one because they did put me on the pill and I think I was about 20 to try and ease the symptoms of the endo mm -hmm. um, because it can help lower the hormone levels, etc., and do its thing. I found for me it made everything worse and I was off it straight away, but some people benefit from it. So it's that same message of everyone is different and you kind of have to go and try it on before you buy well, thank you so much for your time. I think um, this podcast has been very informative. No worries. Thank you so much for shining a light on endometriosis. And as I said, the one message that I love to tell everyone is that you are the CEO of your own body and you just need to keep on fighting. If you're not getting the answers from your GP, go and see someone else and keep on fighting until you get what you believe is going on in your body and get those answers because it's not fun. Um, and no, you're not alone as well. That There's so many amazing communities like the Endometriosis Australia Facebook community where people are able to reach out and chat because it can be such a, a silent and lonely condition to go through. So there are people out there, please reach out to me too. Um, I'm an open book, as you would have just heard in this podcast. I've spoken open and honestly about it because I want people to be aware that it's not just painful periods in women's business. It does affect many people. Thank you so much, Ellie, for your time. It has been incredible to listen to your story and I've learnt so much about Endometriosis Australia. To anyone who is listening who feels like this is triggering something in them, if they're starting to feel like some of the symptoms that they've been living with for years and years could indeed be endometriosis, the first place I would definitely recommend is jumping onto Endometriosis Australia and having a look through their website and seeing what um, support is out there for them. They've got some great support groups. They've got some great facts as well. So you can really kind of read about 
what you've been experiencing versus the facts. And then obviously we always talk about advocate um, for yourself. So go out, learn how to advocate for yourself and start having conversations with doctors. If you feel like the first doctor that you've come across isn't giving you the answers that you need, get a second opinion, get a third opinion if needed. Just make sure that you keep on going until you feel satisfied. Yeah, and we'll put all the links from this episode into the show notes to make it easy for you guys to access. And make sure that you're listening next week as we talk to Bowel Cancer Australia about bowel cancer and their Never Too Young campaign. Like this podcast? Please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.